Seven o'clock. That was weak, folks. <laughs> Thank you very much for coming to Position of Neutrality. Welcome to New Freedom. Uh, we open every meeting of Position of Neutrality with a prayer, and Chaplain Lee is in the house. Come on and stand to your feet all over the room. Welcome. I know you all thought I was saying welcome to you, but I'm saying welcome to the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you tonight and we give you the praise, glory, and honor. As we begin this new year, year of expectation, we just want to say thank you. Thank you for giving us this opportunity once again to gather together, a place where we come to realize that we're part of a new freedom, a new life, a new season. We know, God, that this year of expectation is going to be a great year. And as we move into this meeting on tonight, we invite you to have your way. Touch the hearts of each and every one that is here. We ask you, Lord, that you will speak through your manservant, that he will speak with the clarity to remind people of who they are and whose they are, to know that we can't do nothing without you. So we thank you and we praise you. We give you all the glory, all the honor. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray all these things and let everyone say amen. amen. Thank you, Chap. So the other thing that we've got, some of you have noticed the screens are up, which is we don't normally do. And the reason they are is for the last several years, we've been sending uh, a message into the penitentiaries throughout Arizona and other places. And the way we're able to reach people in high custody situations, solitary confinement and controlled movement and those things is through this product that's called the interactive step experience. So no one's telling anybody what to believe. All we're doing is how to, how to come into yourself and outgrow your past and become a productive member which you were called to be, yeah? And what I can tell you is I've had thousands of men and women who have had the experience of this, and in spite of the fact that many of them were long-term in solitary confinement and had all kinds of trauma around that, they still learned through the process that they were not alone, and it empowered them to make their way to here, and they're out doing really good servant work in the community. I went to a hearing this week where two of our graduates with between the two of them, seven life sentences, they both got stepped down to general parole. So, I just wanna tell you, if you're that person that's been dying in our rooms because you came in here and you never had that experience, but you never heard the message of 12-step recovery taught both in spoken word and in action in the way that the authors of AA's book intended. We encourage you to take a picture of that. It's absolutely free, but you'll have the experience that these men and women have had. We've, uh, Brian and Wayne and his team have optimized it, so it should feel like you're sitting down with me or with one of them as we're helping you navigate our prejudices and, and learn to seek power from within instead of looking out in the world for it. And it's called the Interactive Step Experience for a reason because there's a phone app coming. And then on the phone app, there's going to be community. So you'll not only be able to go through the step experience, but you'll be able to share your thoughts about the step experience with people in your community. It's a really big deal. 
So, we're committed to people all over the world coming to know a new freedom. That make sense? And the, know the meaning of reprieve? What we really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the basis of our spiritual condition. That make sense? So we're hoping to take the mystery out of 12-step recovery through this product and through these teachings and train up an army of warriors who've learned the tricks of the enemy from the enemy and are now here to snatch some territory back. Cool? So tonight, we're in step 12. Since I spent so long in announcements, we're just gonna launch right in, and if you're here for the very first time and don't know what we're doing, don't be surprised because if you've never seen us do this, we're going to look different than anything you've ever seen. Okay, so we're on chapter 7 of the book. And that's in page 89 if you're following along. And the chapter is entitled Working with Others because we're going to talk about step 12 in the program of action that we've been discussing for the last several weeks, yeah? Okay, so it starts out with a promise and a condition, maybe more than one. See if you can catch promises and conditions within it because it's important that you find your own experience in here. It, you, you don't take my word for it. Run it against the spirit within you. Does that make sense? If it fits, fine. If it doesn't fit, discard it. It'll be fine. Okay, so it says practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. You guys find any promises there? It works. Intensive work with others works. Other activities will fail. Sean's doing the Debbie Downer thing. But it's no less a promise, isn't it? How many of you have tried other activities other than intensive work one-on-one -on -one and found that there comes a time when the world requires anesthesia of people like me, maybe you. Okay, so there are some promises and conditions. That intensive work with one another, one-on-one. -on -one. Guys, it's not mystical. You guys are in a those of you watching us online, New Freedom, these, these men and women come to us straight from prison, and one of the things they do is they get here and they're a little shell-shocked, understandably, but within hours or even days, they come out of their cells and they start seeing the new guy coming in and they recognize him and they run over to him and say, I know you're frightened, but it's going to be all right, let me walk with you. And we're unlike any other facility in the country because we do it on a massive scale and we do it entirely with love. Does that make sense? And it's based on this model. Okay, so it says this is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. So how do I carry this message to others and what is this message that I carry? Do you agree with him? And it also might be that intensive work with one another will work when other activities fail, if all other activities you've tried have failed. But now that all of those messages, right, rarely have we seen a person fail, we've boned it down to this. Now it also says that 
carry this message. So it doesn't tell you to shout this message. How does one carry a message of a redemption? You walk it out, don't you? They're going to be much more important that they see how you are and who you are than what you have to say. Once they see how you are and who you are, then they may be interested in what you have to say. We know that from our population because we're skeptics. Okay, so it says you can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. Remember they're very ill. We need to remember that people's bad behavior is the result of a malady. So we gotta, we got to separate humans from human behavior, which is what all the prior steps taught us to access power to do. Yes, the spirit within me can empower me to act kinder than I feel like acting, to speak kinder than I feel like speaking, to separate the unlovely behavior from that lovely person who's aching to get out of that shell. Yeah? Okay. All right, so then there's some promises that come with that. Life will take on new meaning. How many of you have to admit that at some phases in your life you needed life to take on new meaning pretty quick? How many of you have had some recovery time and have learned that oftentimes, stone cold sober, I need life to take on new meaning? So that's why it's a manner of living. That's why this product is called the interactive step experience. Because it's us walking with you. It ain't a one and done. I was not a one and done heroin user. I will never be a one and done stepper. <laughs> not successfully. Okay. Apparently I have a few others that were persistent. Okay. That's good. Okay. So it says to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish. To see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends, this is an experience you must not miss. Notice the words. They use the words they mean. They mean the words they say. Remember, this is their testimony. You'll grow into their experience if you seek, yes? Why'd they use the word experience instead of a sight? They said all these things we would see, but they said this is an experience you must not miss. How many of you have learned as you grew in the spirit that you see differently? Because we've learned to discipline our thoughts, get that plank of perspective out of the way and see things from a spiritual purpose, yes? Okay. All right, so we know you'll not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. So it says right after that, perhaps you're not acquainted with any drinkers who want to recover. How many of you think that's kind of silly? None of you. So apparently you've met addicts, drinkers, convicts who did not want to recover. How many of you were one? How many of you secretly, desperately wanted to recover, but you didn't know it was possible? And you didn't know what it looked like because no one modeled it for you. Okay, so guess whose job that is? You're going to encounter this power in here that's going to enable you to model that job for the next several thousand people you meet. It's not a light assignment, but it's your assignment. And you've been prepared for that kind of mental toughness intentionally. Does that make sense? 
So you can easily find some by asking a few doctors, ministers, priests, or hospitals. They'll be only too glad to assist you. Don't start out as an evangelist or reformer. Why not? <laughs> what do they mean when they say an evangelist or a reformer? Yeah, I need, to, I need to approach you the way I'd like to be approached if the roles were reversed, which is going to require that I go inward before I make the approach, isn't it? So if I'm going to offend you with a bunch of religious talk, then I shouldn't, that's not what should come out of me. And if I'm going to offend you with a bunch of alcoholics anonymies, then that shouldn't come out of me. Right. How many of you have realized that there's people even in different fellowships of recovery can't talk to one another even though they're talking about the same manner of living? Because we get caught up in words. So the only way that's going to happen is for you to grow in consciousness, to awaken, which is why the 12-step requires an awakening of the spirit within. Does that make sense? Okay. So you'll be handicapped if you arouse it. Ministers and doctors are competent, and you can learn much from them if you wish. But it happens that because of your own drinking experience, you can be uniquely useful to other alcoholics. So cooperate, never criticize, to be helpful is our only aim. So remember they told you in the first step that an alcoholic properly armed with the facts about himself can generally win the confidence of another in a few minutes or a few hours. And that accommodation, if not met, we're not going to go anywhere. So you're going to have to be properly armed with the facts about yourself. It's not your alcoholic crazy behavior. It's not your addict crazy behavior. It is your redemption, but you're going to have to first level the playing field. I once thought and felt as you do, but I doubt I'd made much progress had I not taken action. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then we're going to walk them out past their prejudice by paying attention to their cues, not my wisdom or your wisdom, depending on who's trying to lead them. Does that make sense? It isn't us that does it anyway. It's the spirit within us. Okay, so... Um, when you discover, I'm on 90, when you discover a prospect for Alcoholics Anonymous, find out all you can about him. So how do I do that? Yeah, we're going we're gonna to ask questions and we're going to listen, right? That's how you find out about people. Listen with the intent of understanding, not responding. Little trick. My therapist in the room, you know that's a real thing. But for all of you 12-steppers, if we assume we know the answers, then we are not spirit-led. We, we might know the questions if we're properly in tune. Okay. So if he does not want to stop drinking, don't waste time trying to persuade him. You may spoil a later opportunity. so important that we don't rush at them and demand that they have an understanding they can't possibly have. Right? We're not here to persuade. How many of you, when you started really grasping this manner of living, needed any persuasion? And how many of you were just looking for any flimsy reed to yank your ass out of this? <laughs> Who's the persuader? Alcohol. Alcohol, cocaine, methamphetamine, heroin, whatever that is. Okay. They should be patient realizing they're dealing with a sick person. If there is any indication that he wants to stop, have a good talk with the person most interested in him usually his wife, get an idea of his behavior, his problems, his background, the seriousness of his condition, and his religious leanings. You need this information to put yourself 
in his place to see how you would like to be, him to approach you if the tables were returned. So what you want to know is they're teaching you how to meditate in a, in a proactive, in a relevant way to becoming a good servant. I need to know from them and then take it to the spirit in me and ask to be a vessel so that I can approach them in the way that they can accept that approach. And the best one to know that is to know what would offend me. And what we do as humans is often we get treated offensively and then we pass that on as a tradition. And it, and it causes people to not like recovery, not like churches, not like all kinds of things. Just because people are acting humanly and we're asking you to act superhumanly. But it's much more effective to let the Spirit do that through you. Does that make sense? Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump from there to the next page, the middle of the page, because most of us first are going to meet people right where they are or in, in meetings or in, in the environment, the community we're in. And so we're going to just start with that, if that makes sense. It says, see your man alone if possible. How many of you have gone to recovery meetings and watched what happens to someone who lets people know they're new? So it can be difficult to see them alone, can't it? <laughs> so how do you, Sean kidnaps them. How do, you, how do you see your person alone knowing that there's a, a crowd? Who's, who's my 12-steppers in here? How many of you have learned that there's a meeting before the meeting? How many of you have learned there's a meeting after the meeting? The old timers told me, you got to go to the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, because in the meeting before and after, we tell you who we really are. During the meeting, we tell you who we want you to think we are. Does that make sense? Okay, okay so the first engage in general conversation, what's that look like? Haven't seen you here before. You working nearby? What are they normally here? Yeah, yeah you, can get, you can get swamped, can't you? And it's not because people have bad intent. We're not making fun of the behavior. We're making fun of the experience. How many of you remember your first day or days and you were hoping desperately that no one you knew saw you there? <laughs> and some of us came up rough. It's like we've been doing shit. We wouldn't want anyone to know we did in the wide open. But now I want to be secretive. I was a magician when I was running. Anyone else? I could make stuff disappear. <laughs> After a while, turn the talk to some phase of drinking. Tell him enough about your drinking habits, symptoms, and experiences to encourage him to speak of himself. So we're not trying to get spiritual with him now. We're just talking, look, I drank myself into a coma between the opiate addiction I had and the alcohol I was trying to pour down so my kids wouldn't find out or whatever I was trying to hide. I went into a coma and didn't come out of it for seven days. That really happened to me. And I was in delirium tremens so bad that they wouldn't let me go anywhere for a while, but the minute they trained me to feed myself and walk again, I ran out of there with my butt hanging out of a hospital gown and went to the corner store so I could get a beer. Um, I had a diagnosis that required the court to, to 
determine what medications I must take. I was a ward, what med medications I had to take. I got a letter one time that I showed to Sean. I wish I had the letter, but it was from a provider because I needed to get my driver's, my license plate back because I was driving around without a current license plate. So D DPS took my license plate and jokes on them, the car still drives with no plate. So, so when I finally went to get a plate again, I had to take a letter from the psychiatrist who had been seeing me, and I went off that story just to tell you a little something about me. Um, he wrote a letter and said, this man has been under my care for the last nine months. He has been incapable emotionally or mentally of making any personal decisions. That man stood this up. Not because of his, because of my identity in God. Does that make sense? There, nobody would have given me a nickel. And I've met a lot of you that got much more profound stories. So I'm telling you, it's a big job you got in front of you, but it's absolutely worth it. Okay? So if he wishes to talk, let him do so. You'll just get a better idea how you ought to proceed. If he's not communicative, give him a sketch of your drinking career up to the time you quit. But say nothing for the moment of how that was accomplished. Why not? Both of those answers are correct. You know what they're talking about? How many of you used every day no matter what? How many of you let yourself get in deplorable conditions and never even thought of it? Just, how did this happen? How many of you one day were going in a completely different direction? How many of you know how that happened? How did it happen? Huh? You had a son before you got in deplorable condition. Well, that's when you thought of another and the power came in. I'll grant you that. I'll grant you that. But the fact is, how it happened is above my pay grade. I used every day no matter what. They chained me down, tied me up, and as soon as I got up, I ran out and I did it again. I didn't do the same thing expecting a different result. I did the same thing knowing the result. This is going to suck. Watch. Come with me. Bring a camera. It's going to be epic. So it's above our pay grade, and if I tell them before they're ready to hear it, it is going to scare them because it's going to come with the power of the Spirit. Okay. So if he's in a serious mood, dwell on the troubles liquor has caused you, being careful not to moralize or lecture. If his mood is light, tell him humorous stories of your escapades and get him to tell some of his. How many of you have some humorous stories? How many of you, when you were brand new, found nothing funny? So we, a lot of times we're not paying attention to that, who our audience is. It's okay to be entertaining and funny when everyone's in the same place, but if I'm sitting there dying and I'm thinking there's just no way this is going to work for me, then I'm hoping somebody in the spirit has the sense to come and speak to me too. Does that make sense? Again, the meeting before the meeting, the meeting after the meeting, we can ascertain where people are. Yeah? Okay, so when he sees you know all about the drinking game, commence to describe yourself as an alcoholic. Why would I want to do that? I am the only one that it matters to me what my diagnosis is. I'm not qualified to diagnose you. 
And it doesn't matter if I do if you don't understand the gravity of that diagnosis. How many of you, of course I drink like this, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm a drug addict, this is what we do. Didn't understand the gravity of it. Because we don't know that we're insane. Insane people don't know they're insane. Insane people think they're pretending they're insane. Anyone know what I'm talking about? How many of you got to homelessness? Do we not pretend we're insane to stay safe from time to time? I had a 20-inch parrot that rode around on my shoulder. He could bark like a dog. I had interesting conversations with all kinds of learned people. His name was Boo Boo. Okay, so, so it says, tell him how baffled you were, how you finally learned that you were sick. Give him an account of the struggles you made to stop. Show him the mental twist which leads to the first drink of a spree. We suggest you do this as we've done on the chapter on alcoholism. So there's a chapter called More About Alcoholism. They talk about Jim the car guy. Any of you know the story? Yep. Yeah. And it, it makes sense or is it a joke? Some people dismiss it. Jim, Jim, the car guy, didn't start drinking until he was a little older, and he owned a car dealership. But he learned that he was really good at drinking, and he lost the car dealership due to his drinking. And then Jim had to take a job working for the same dealership he once owned, and he felt a little agitation on his way to work. <laughs> Any of you ever gone to a diminished job capacity because of your addiction and then had a little agitation? Well, that's what happened to Jim. And when he got there, he had a few words with the boss. Nothing serious. You can start to see the delusion creeping in, right? Like, I gave this dude a break, and he's coming in here giving me lip. Right? So anyway, Jim, to avoid the difficult environment, the story tells us he went, decided to go out in the woods to a roadside place looking for people who want to buy cars who don't come to dealerships. <laughs> you starting to see the mental illness there? How many of you have gone to where you should be and then thought you should be somewhere else, but you had a really good reason for being somewhere else? I've read some of your court records. I know it happened more than once. <laughs> so on his way to the woods where the car buyers hang out, he goes to the roadside place where he's eaten many times, but he doesn't pick up no matter what, so it's chill. And he's sitting in there, and he has a sandwich and a glass of milk. And then the thought came to him, you know, if I had another sandwich and another glass of milk, a shot of whiskey could not hurt me on a full stomach. Now, he's lost his business. He's been hospitalized numerous times. But that sandwich and milk was going to protect him from him. So anyway, the story recounts that he ordered the shot of whiskey, he took the shot of whiskey, and that worked so well, he had another. They don't talk about any more sandwiches and milk after that, but they do talk about Jim going to the asylum after that. Any of you relate? Went somewhere for one purpose, ended up doing somewhere completely... Okay. They talk about a fellow who didn't think he was that bad. They talk about a jaywalker that it, they said he just ran in front of cars. 
But if you substitute your heroin addiction or your crack addiction or your meth addiction, it doesn't sound so ridiculous. Yes? How many of you got abscesses because you were slamming whatever? How many of you started using the pick line they put in you to put the antibiotics in you to slam more shit in you? Some people consider that insane. The rest of us just think that's normal. What a convenience. A super highway. Um, okay. So it says if you're satisfied that he's a real alcoholic, begin to dwell on the hopeless feature of the malady. So the fact that you're starting to relate to me here, you, you probably should listen further. If you're laughing at the stuff I'm talking about, I'm telling you, in normal polite circles, that ain't the kind of stuff they talk about. So as I show him from your own experience how the queer mental condition surrounding that first drink prevents normal functioning of the willpower. So how does that work from your own experience? How many of you had a job and everyone you're working with is, you know, they've been working alongside you and one of them decides, hey man, it's been a rough week. We're gonna go have a few drinks, let off a little steam. You ever had that happen to you? How many of you like me thought, I had a rough week. I wanna let off a little steam. Why can't I let off a little steam? How many of you tried that? Any of you relate to me? How come you, how come you can't let off a little steam the way they do? Yeah, because they go home after a while and I go live under a bush. That's why. We are not the same. But it ain't their fault. Does that make sense? Properly armed with the facts about me. I would make these stories up about how I chose these events and then try and convince myself I wasn't insane but no one but an insane person would choose what I went through and guess who put me through it but not this man because this man's new it was that other man that one we put to death through this process does it make sense okay so don't at this stage refer to this book unless he's seen it and wishes to discuss it and be careful not to brand him as an alcoholic. Let him draw his own conclusion. You know why we do that? The authors tell this story, and no one can read this book until someone shows them because they write it in past tense and present tense, and they write it in first person and third person. So if someone doesn't help you navigate it, it's very confusing. But the, the reality is we, we change tense to tell the story to suit the moment, and we, we're just basing our testimony on their testimony, aligning it, right? And so, what they tell us about when we become alcoholic, remember that in the first step teaching? Yeah. Who's we in this book? The first 100. So they say, when we became alcoholic, and then they give you conditions, crushed by a self-imposed crisis, we could not postpone or evade. We had to fearlessly face the proposition that either God was everything or he was nothing. And by this time, they're talking about a tangible experience from within. Does that make sense? So I'm not an alcoholic in a meaningful way until I'm telling you the condition I was redeemed from, not the one I live with. 
And in fact, alcoholism and addiction weren't even a diagnosis of a disease when this book was written. So they were talking about a mining term, not a medical term, at the time this book was written. Does that make sense? So they're talking about a redemption taken from the scrap heap and raised to a level of life better than the best I've ever known. Is it making sense to you? Some of the confusion we've had? Okay. So, in other words, they're going to have to draw their own conclusion because they've got to decide what their choice is to be. God, everything, God, nothing. Because crack, methamphetamine, heroin, fentanyl, alcohol, they were everything and anything else was nothing. In my, does it make sense? So it's not that hard a choice. But I've got to be crushed. You got any fellow crushed people here? Okay. All right. All right. So, so then it's, it says, uh, let him draw his own conclusion. If he sticks to the idea that he can still control his drinking, tell him that possibly he can, if he's not too alcoholic. <laughs> We're not throwing them under the bus. We need them to convince us. Because the spirit in us wants to introduce himself, but not until they're ready. Okay, so, but insist that if he's severely afflicted, there may be little chance he can recover by himself. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. So what are those conditions of body and mind, but don't use alcoholics anonymous? Because otherwise everyone just says, craving and obsession, because they went to a class somewhere. <laughs> and anyone that's ever heard it before and thinks if recovery failed them, they quit hearing at that point. But how many of you know what it feels like to desperately not want to get up and do it again and then wake up and know you're going to go do it again? Whatever it is. How many of you try and convince yourself that, okay, I'm going to get through today, but this won't happen again? How many of you get to the point where if I don't try again, I can't fail again? So I'm going to start trying to stock up multiple days. See, I just talked to you about craving and obsession without using those words. How many of you had a little clean time and then the thought came to you, you know, I should probably go over to the house just show the fellas how good I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, you can go right ahead. You can smoke that bowl right in front of me. won't trouble me a bit, brother. My recovery is on point. <laughs> Some of y'all know what's up, right? Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. We all know those stories, right? Our people die out there. Yes? yes. Serious. Yes. Doctors are rightly loath to tell to alcoholic patients the whole story unless it'll serve some good purpose. But you may talk to them about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. Guys, you understand the solution we offer them? We offer them an awakened spirit. The tangible evidence of a possibility for them is an awakened spirit in me. I know the depths of their depravity because I've lived it. And I know the freedom of the redemption because part of that freedom is being an ambassador of that freedom to the next one I'm sent to. Does that make sense? So the solution we offer is not a step process or a meeting list. The solution we offer is a path to an awakened spirit. 
Does that make sense? And if you don't like the idea of an awakened spirit, it's simply a power on the inside of you that will overcome the fear in you that limits you from becoming the better man or woman you hope to be. I don't need to talk to you in religious language to tell you about a tangible sensory experience, do I? Okay, so it says that you'll soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, the traits of an alcoholic. You notice how you guys have been relating with me with all my ramblings? I could deduce that many of you have all the traits (laughs) based on our interaction, couldn't I? And sometimes it's a different response, right? Sometimes when we don't think anything's funny, then it's a much more heavy, but we can feel their burdens, yes? So if his own doctor is willing to tell him that he's alcoholic, so much the better. If Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's become very curious to know how you got well. Now is when this is going to be showtime. You have a third step commitment to honor. It says, let him ask you that question if he will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. That's in italics. It's important. That's why it's in italics. I drank every day, no matter what. I medicated in any number of ways, and I didn't stop, no matter what the depth or the consequence or who it was going to harm or how many people were going to leave my life out of self-preservation. I did it anyway, not because I didn't love them, but because I could not find any light in me. And one day, pow! That never happened again. That's why I can't tell anybody how, I can only tell you who. That power came into me because of the words of a testimony of someone a lot like me. And all of a sudden my eyes opened up and I believed based on his story that if it could happen for him, that I could desperately seek to know how he found that, that he described, that I could have it too, and I wasn't wrong. And I've since seen thousands, and when I hear people think that we're exaggerating here, we're not. Thousands of men and women have the very same experience through the very same power with a simple introduction from one of us who simply knows the truth and offers to share it to somebody in suffering. Make sense? And then it tells us stress the spiritual feature freely because what you felt that was happening in you does it make sense and once you know that's in you then you don't have to want what we have you want what you have and you want to awaken to it because that's all there to it does it make sense so then it says if the man be agnostic or atheist make it emphatic he does not have to agree with your conception of God that's also an italic We're not here to talk theology, so if you believe God doesn't exist, I'll call your attention to the experience of the flow as we move through the process. And I say that, that power you're feeling, that's the power we call God. When I say God around here, if you haven't been here before, they're all supposed to say power, but that's how we overcome prejudice, right? Because we're not talking to you about a theology, we're not talking to you about a bad church experience, we're talking about a power to live inside of you that wants more for you. Okay, 
So it says he can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. People have taken that to extremes. The conception is going to be based on the experience I share. Therefore, it is not going to be a light bulb or a doorknob because the precise instructions say it's found deep down inside and it expresses itself as power, peace, happiness, and a sense of direction flowing from within. Does that make sense? And if it doesn't make sense in light of the experience I've just shared, they're just not ready. And it's not their fault. And it's also not my fault. Okay. So the main thing is that he'd be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he lived by spiritual principles. That's an italic. This is the point where we really need to tell you, because this is trying to lead you to your second step encounter so you know we're talking about tangible power. If you are engaging with me and you don't believe that there is a power greater than you and I've read your arrest record... Or I've seen your medical chart and seen how many detoxes you've been through in the last 120 days. Then one of us is delusional. <laughs> because clearly there was some power greater than you that was driving you to some hopeful state of reasonableness so we could meet. Does that make sense? They didn't say God there. They said power we come to believe in an illness before we come to believe in a power that can restore. That's just the way it is. That's early teaching. Okay. So when dealing with such a person, you'd better use everyday language to describe spiritual principles. I try and do that. And y'all have to do the best you can with it as well. There is no use in arousing any prejudice he may have against certain theological terms and conceptions about which he may already be confused. Don't raise such issues no matter what your own convictions are. So we're always talking about our experience. That's not saying be apologetic about your beliefs. Just make sure you're talking about your beliefs, not what someone else needs to do or be. Their faults are not discussed. We stick to our own. That's what all, the whole ninth step was about, was shredding that ego so I can be a servant without judgment. Does it make sense? Okay. So I'm going to jump to... What are we doing time-wise? Let's go to page 94. And it says, outline the program of action explaining how you made a self-appraisal. Think that would be easier if you have made one? Because it's all experiential, right? I'm going to align my experience with theirs, and in order to align my experience with theirs, I'm probably going to follow a format similar to theirs, and that's what I'm going to show others. Does it make sense? I'm not saying there's any perfect way to do it. I'm just saying I'm trying to share an experience and align it to these people. Because they're the ones that have this redemption that I'm willing to go to any lengths to get. Theoretically. <laughs> okay. So, so how you straightened out your past. How did we do that? Making of amends. Having made that inventory, we found out our part in things. Yes? It's important for him to, or, and, oh, and why you're now endeavoring to be helpful to him. Why am I now endeavoring to be helpful to them? It's, it's, my, it's, it's my demonstration of the power in me. Right? If I don't prove the power to me, through me, there will come a time. The authors promise it. There's going to be a test of my spiritual fitness. 
right? The alcoholic at certain times, for reasons yet obscure, cannot bring to consciousness with sufficient force the memory of suffering and humiliation of even a week or a month ago. He is without defense against the first drink. How many of you have read that but didn't? So a bunch of you felt it just now. Who felt that just now? They're, they're telling me precise instructions how important it is I continue to do this because that day is coming when I will not be able to bring to consciousness the awareness of being aware, that memory of suffering and humiliation, and I'll think some silly trifling moment is, well, I'll just go get high. And then it doesn't end for likes of me. Any of you think you could keep it on the down low and <laughs> kind of squeaked out after a little bit? All right, so it says it's important for him to realize that this attempt to pass this on to him plays a vital role in your recovery. Actually, you may be helping him more, or help, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. Those of us that do a lot of this, I know a bunch of you are in the room, we can assure you you're helping us more than we're helping you. Because we are able to confront our own fears. We're able to confront our own judgments. You drive us through our practices with your acts of courage and your blind faith. Actually, he may be helping you more than you're helping him. Make it plain he's under no obligation to you that you hope only that he'll try and help other alcoholics when he escapes his own difficulties. See, it's not a rule. I just hope you'll do it because you'll never complete your house cleaning if you don't. If you don't go out and share those lowest parts of your life with somebody else for their redemption and avert suffering for them, you'll never get the healing you need. It's just, it's just a fact. When you see that you went through all that trauma, but now that trauma that you've been brought through can now be used to lift up brothers and sisters, you will not feel the same way about it. Does that make sense? So it says, suggest how important it is that he place the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear that he's not under pressure, that he needn't see you again if he doesn't want to. You should not be offended if he wants to call it off, for he's helped you more than you have helped him. Notice how that book was written for me, the one trying to carry the 12-step message, not for the new guy. Because they just reminded me, I can't tell you you've helped me more than I helped you and then act indignant when you tell me you want to work with somebody else. <laughs> but it happens. How, any, any of us that have done a lot of it, it's like, I just spent eight hours with you last Saturday. You couldn't have told me this bullshit before you wasted <laughs> Right? But what's my spiritual awakening as a result of that? I was not selfless, was I? No, I was, I was transactional. So I have an opportunity now to ask that that be removed from me. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it says, if your talk has been sane, quiet, and full of human understanding, you've perhaps made a friend. How many of you have had a good conversation with someone that you never stayed with long-term that called them calling you sponsor, but you were a friend of theirs in recovery for a long time, and they tell you of those encounters any of you that have been here a minute, I, I, I know any of you that have been here a minute, know Paul and Sean were critical to me. Paul was around my first go-round. March of this year, that's 39 years ago, guys. It's been a minute. But we see miracles. All right, so the more hopeless he feels, the better. 
he'll be more likely to follow your suggestions. So we know you're not going to feel very good about yourself, so we're not going to pile on. We're not going to tell you anything about your condition. We're going to tell you all about the condition we've been pulled from and ask you what we can do to help you walk this out, right? Okay. So since your candidate may give reasons why he need not follow all the program. How many of you have had a candidate? Give you. How many of you have been a candidate? How many of you weren't even brave enough to say you wouldn't do it all? You just gave them lip service and showed them you wouldn't do it all. You know how many people say, I want you to be my sponsor. We say a prayer and I never see an inventory. Crickets. Clearly you didn't encounter power. I'm not mad at you. But if you really believe that what was coming was coming, if that stuff we're going to discover and get ready to cast out in the inventory has been obscuring your consciousness, the awareness of being aware of the power within you to live. And if I don't get you through that, then you're not properly armed. So you're not going to be able to help anybody else. And you've, by the time you met me, you've already demonstrated you can't help you. Right? I can't help me either. I can see your plight when I can't see my own. Why do you think we're linked? Okay, so he may rebel at the thought of a drastic house cleaning which requires discussion with other people. Do not contradict such views. Tell him you once felt as he does, but you doubt whether you'd made much progress had you not taken action. On your first visit, tell him about the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. If he shows interest, then lend him a copy of your book. Back then they were really careful. The fellowship is in the rooms, the church basements, at the bus stop, wherever you meet in fellowship. The program is the instructions for a manner of living in the book. And there's no point in showing you the manner of living if you're not interested in joining some kind of fellowship of like-minded people. And that doesn't mean you gotta join any particular one. We got a whole community here that probably doesn't go to very many churches or very many 12-step meetings, but you come here and pour into your own. True? We're just trying to build community, whatever that is. Okay, so then I want to jump from there because I'm going to run out of time. Um, I want to go to pop, top of page 96 for just a minute. I want to talk to you that are new to introducing people to this manner of living, this power. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. How many of you have tried to work with people and they just, just don't follow through? How many of you had that happen a lot? How many of you, when you were new, thought it was something wrong with you? We can, if no one helps us understand. I've got to get better in my spiritual disciplines. I've got to increase my belief, my faith. I've got to have faith in you that I wouldn't have been sent to you by accident. But I've got to call you as God sees you, not as I see you. And that means I've got, I got to see different. Does that make sense? Okay. So then it says, search out another alcoholic and try again. So just, we've never been a one and done. Keep, keep going. Keep going. Your healing is there. Pursue it. Does it make sense? You're sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. We find it a waste of time to keep chasing a man who cannot or will not work with you. If you leave such a person alone, he may soon become convinced that he cannot recover by himself. 
To spend too much time on any one situation is to deny some other alcoholic an opportunity to live and be happy. One of our fellowship failed entirely with his first half dozen prospects. He often says that if he had continued to work on them, he might have deprived many others who have since recovered of their chances. So we're not here to sort them out, we're here to serve. And the man they're talking about is Bill Wilson, who's the author of the majority of this book. And if you'll think about the millions of people who have found recovery as a result of the work he did, regardless of your opinion of anything else about him, you can understand the gravity, because he's just one man. This power is no respecter of person. This power will do with you what he did with him. Does, Does that make sense? So... I need to go from there to page 97. It says, never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you're doing the right thing if you assume them. I skipped past the giving people money, giving them housing, doing things of that nature. And they're saying, we don't have a hard no. We're saying, if you're awakened in the spirit, make sure you're not doing more harm than good. Does that make sense? Okay. So helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. Regardless of what you might think of biblical metaphors there, how many of you would build anything without putting a stone foundation under it if you wanted it to last? And how many of you want your recovery to last? So the reason I want stone in my foundation is the same reason I want to continue to serve and find the ones who will grow because they are the stone in my foundation. Whatever you do for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you do unto me, he said. Okay. So a kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. That's another biblical reference. But without getting theological, what did the Good Samaritan do? He helped the one he wasn't supposed to help. He helped the... He f- helped the man who had been beaten and robbed and he was of a different religion so it was forbidden for him to address him. But he didn't care because he was a good neighbor. And he went and he bandaged his wounds and he put him on his own animal and he took him to the inn and he paid his tab and he said, I'll be back in a few days and I'll settle up for him. How many of you have had to do those kinds of things for people that fall on hard way? And people think, oh, you're such a saint. No, I'm such a sinner that I owe this never-ending debt, and this is how we pay it. Okay, so this is what I was told were the 12-step promises, because the guy that took me through the steps was a bit of a dick. (laughs) Anyway, it's the truth. um, It may mean the loss of many nights' sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money in your home, counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may say, sometimes say she's neglected. Because you neglected her. I got to that point and said something similar, and the guy said, well, congratulations, you're getting the promises. (laughs) How many of you had someone do that for you? See, what a lot of people don't know is if you don't go out and do this for others, 
The ninth step was just preparation for the big amends, which is the twelfth step. So somebody came to all those jails and asylums I was in. I couldn't tell you their name, but they planted a seed. I don't even know what seed they planted, but I know what grew. Does it make sense? I'm going to jump from there because I don't want to get into all the rest of it. I'm on page 98. Those of you who are for 10 and 11, I told you we'd get into this. It's time to grow in understanding and effectiveness. Yes? And I told you the understanding that you might possibly have experienced a better understanding of yourself as a sick person getting well as opposed to a bad person getting good. And, and you may have grown an understanding of your fellow man who was willing to selflessly offer themselves in a, in a joint self-preservation, but without judgment, yes? And then in this power we call God once we know it's tangible and sensory and redemptive, yes? Okay, and so this answers the question about what we're growing in effectiveness of on page 98. It's not the matter of giving that's in question, but when and how to give. I'm going to have to be in tune to the spirit within me to know when and how to give so that I'm not doing more harm than good. Does it make sense? And there's no rules for that. It's going to come from within. I do some crazy stuff for people and go, why are you doing that? Uh -huh. Spirit told me to do it. <laughs> Have you guys ever had that happen to you? I was walking through a mall one time. Give you a quickie. Walking through a mall. I see this woman coming at me. And I know she's got, I mean, she has the whole car wash thing. <laughs> Comes walking up to me and says, sir, I need $7. And I reached in my wallet and I had exactly $7. And I handed it to her. And the people I was with said, are you crazy? I said, dude, nobody asked for $7. If you don't think that was a test, you ain't living in the realm I live in. <laughs> Not only did someone ask for something they never asked for, but they made me give it all. <laughs> they didn't ask for six fifty. <laughs> Some of you are feeling me, though. All right, so I want to hit one more thing before we end. Um, Page 100, this often gets misinterpreted, and I want to make sure there's no deception here. It says, both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. I've heard people teach that. They're talking about you always got to have someone in the steps, and that's a great suggestion, but that's not what they're talking about. They're talking about the new man within me, who often acts better than I think I should act who stays silent for me when I want to say something. I need to walk consciously with that new man within, and when I do, remarkable things follow. Students of that other book, Signs and Wonders follow us. That's it. Next week we're back in one. <laughs> <laughs>